actually took a program on negotiation at Harvard back a few years ago. Anne and I went and I was really intrigued at uh, some of the lessons learned. And then that binder sat in my garage and still sits in my garage till this day. Why did I pay for a course for something I knew was important that I decided I would never actually use? I wasn't an entrepreneur. I wasn't even in a sales position. I was just curious. But now as a business owner, I'm actually faced on the other side of negotiation where people try and, um, you know, ask you for different types of things or want to negotiate scope of work and deliverables and all these different things. So it was crucial to me to ask an expert and that expert is Mark Raffin, who's the CEO of Negotiation Ninjas and has the number one negotiation podcast out there. So this is a really interesting and fun episode. You could hear how great it was to interact. And more importantly, what you don't know and what I said off camera is that my heart was beating super fast so many different times during the course of this. Can you believe I forgot to turn my phone off? It's staying in. Uh, but over the course of it, my heart was beating so fast because I was remembering points in negotiation that were just, you know, felt like awful dramatic experiences. And that's exactly what I don't want for you. And I don't want that for me. So that's what we're going to do. Listen, take notes. And here we go. You just mentioned something to me before I even hit record uh, that I'm, uh, has already piqued my interest. You went and spoke to colonels uh, at the Army War College, and I'm wondering how does that even happen, and what was your attitude when you saw all their faces and whether they were excited or not? It, to it was all that. virtual, so like we're all COVID nineteen up yeah. now, I guess. So uh, we, I got to do everything online. It was amazing, man. Yeah, just an incredible opportunity to speak to such incredible leaders. Um, it, it came up just as a as a result of, I guess, what I do um, yep. for the Negotiations Ninja business. Uh, very fortunate to have some like incredible friends that made some introductions, and it just sort of happened. Um, the whole point of it, though, was they're, they're sort of going through their master's program right now at the War College. And, and one of the things that they wanted to get a handle on was how do we understand and negotiate and communicate a lot better, right? We, we want to make sure that we're communicating and we're negotiating and understand sort of where people's mindsets are in today's day and age. And this is the thing that I actually really appreciate about the military in general is everyone thinks that they're not progressive, but man, like they're super progressive about technology and new ideas and bringing in all this stuff. And yeah, just what an incredible opportunity. I really I, I am inclined to agree. There was a lot of, I don't even know how to explain it, progressive advances, techno technological advances that I saw that I just, there's nothing like that I've seen out here. And they're very right. quick to adopt and test and be like, this is good, this is not good. And, and I mean, I, I love that attitude, but I want to go back. It's, it's really interesting how you talked about um, how much they want to learn because your audience is not a group of people who negotiate. Uh, these are people who say, this is what I need, or this is what's going to happen. Let's do it. And people carry out those orders, so to speak. So with an audience like that, and we'll get into business in a second, but like with an audience like that, like what could they take away from it if they're in a position of authority, even though I'm sure some of them have empathy, but what could they take away on the negotiation side? 
Yeah, I think for them, it was more about the psychology behind it. So we got into a, a really deep discussion about bias and sort of the way that the brain works and, and how decision-making and negotiation sort of go hand in hand. Uh, and, and it really evolved into a discussion about how negotiation and decision-making need to be congruent. So for example, like one of the topics that we spoke about was confirmation bias, mm-hmm. where um, you know I have an existing set of beliefs, right? I have these pre-existing beliefs that I go into a situation with. And then my confirmation bias basically says, okay, I'm going to go and find the data to support these pre-existing beliefs, which is now essentially illogical, right? That doesn't really make sense. So we spoke about how that affects their communication and their negotiation. You have a pre-set existing beliefs in your mind about who someone is or what someone does. Don't then go and find data to support that pre-existing belief before you communicate it. Find the data first that leads to the truth. So it's about data first and then making a decision about how you communicate or interact or negotiate with that person. So what if those the, are the type of things that we spoke about. Yeah. Then let me just ask this. I'm, we're like already slightly off topic and it's my fault, but I love it. What if the bias is a positive bias? So, so yes. what if, you know, like collecting the data is slows it down. Uh, so what, what do you say about that? So bias is good and bad, right? It, it just, it's, Everyone, and I, we've probably got the media to blame for this, but there's when people say bias, they, they think that that's a bad thing. Bias in and of itself is not a bad thing. It just is. It can, it can influence bad behavior, but it is not a bad thing. And so you may come into a situation where you have a pre-existing bias towards something, um, and maybe that's correct. Maybe that is the correct bias. But it's important to check yourself, mm-hmm. right? You can't just assume that your pre-existing beliefs are the right thing. You've got to go back and reaffirm whether or not that's correct. Because sometimes that even changes over time. It, like what worked 10 years ago doesn't necessarily work today. Yeah. And so you have a pre-existing bias that, you know, this tactic or this technique worked. Not true today. So we've got to make sure that we're always checking these pre-existing beliefs. Um, thank you. So I want to ask this. You did not, I'm assuming, <laughs> maybe this is bias, uh, as a teenager did not say, I want to study and learn deeply the art of negotiation. Um, I don't think that's how it was, but no. uh, you can let me know if, if not. And if not, then how did it come to fruition? Uh, how did that curiosity manifest into to what you are now? Yeah, I, no, you're right. I, I did not. I, was, I, was, I had this desire to actually be a graphic designer when I was a teenager. So, I mean, obviously, negotiation is the natural fit there. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course, I could see that a mile it's away. It's just right. You see the connection, right? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Um, so, I started out my career right after university in sales, did very well, um, ended up paying off all my student loans, realized I had a knack for it, 
and just got deeper and deeper and deeper into it, then moved to the other side of the table, became a procurement person and worked my way up through um, a, a number of different corporations and then eventually decided, I, I want to leave. I want to do my own thing. I got very bored of sort of the corporate gig yep. and um, wanted to start my own business. And what started off as purely a creative pursuit in developing a, a blog and a podcast turned into naturally, fantastically turned into a business that we now run today, which is Negotiations Ninja. There was never an intention, like many people, right? I just sort of fell into it, which is kind yeah. of weird. Yep. Uh, but the more and more I studied it, the more and more I realized I, I love it. I love, I love understanding how influence and persuasion works. I, I love knowing how people's brains respond to certain situations. And so for me, that's, that's where the passion comes in. That's where the true, the true obsession for me is, is understanding why people act the way they act. Yes. I love, uh, I love when people are obsessed with something because that just means the more you do it, the more you want to do it and you know, exactly. you're in the right place. So, uh, when you were succeeding in your corporate gigs, uh, all, you know, eventually that, that runway kind of, uh, ran out, but did you, did you think you were a good salesperson or did you think you were a good negotiator? That's a really good question. Maybe neither. I mm. thought I was a good communicator. Okay. Um, so that's probably where I believe my strength really is. Yes, I'm, I'm good at negotiation. Yes, I have a skill set there. But I think what I... The, the skill set that I've really developed over time is my ability to communicate and my ability to listen to people. And I think that a lot of people, and, and in turn, that's made me a better negotiator. A lot of people, for whatever reason, think that you have to be a great talker to be a good negotiator. And the opposite is actually true. You have to be a good listener to be a good negotiator. The more that you can actively listen and hear what a person is saying, the better negotiator you'll be because you're, you're absorbing more information, you're absorbing more emotions that the person is giving off, and that then helps you to create data and leverage that helps you within that negotiation. Certainly, your ability to have a conversation and carry things on definitely helps, don't get me wrong. Mm -hmm. but the skill set really depends upon listening first. <laughs> so this is fantastic because I know that to be true. Uh, and I probably need to talk less and listen more. Uh, but I, I really do try and have good candid relationships with, with prospects and clients. And, and I mean, it usually goes, it usually goes well. And, and my COO who's usually on calls with me kind of, I don't think she's ever really had to kind of temper me or anything like that. But I, I say this because when it's the reverse and I know people are asking open-ended questions and they are ready to consume information and use that information to tell me why my problem is going to be the end of me and why I'm going to lose money or all these other things. I'm just like, I can't. Uh, and, and we're both on LinkedIn, obviously. It's the same thing when, when someone's like, Hey Rich, how are you today? How is your whatever business? And I'm just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, can't, I can't. can't so, do it. <laughs> so how do you, yeah, so I, exactly. I've, I cannot, I'm not even being facetious when I'm like, please don't. And then next thing I know is like, check out this PDF. I'm like, ah, but um, what do you, how do you, how can you not get yourself in a position where you are doing the right thing and putting yourself in a position to listen 
while the people still kind of sniff it out, so to speak, and they're, and they're turned off. It's like such a lose-lose. You can't come with it and you can't be soft about it. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to sincerity and, and, and trying to be as authentic and genuine as you can be. Because are you, are you listening to get the sale or are you listening to solve the problem? I think that's really where it comes down to. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're listening to solve the problem, then I, I think you, you probably come along as a lot more sincere and genuine that you actually want to help someone. If you're listening purely to get the sale, I think people's bullshit meters are so dialed in these days that they can smell it out instantly. So if you're, if you're doing it to to help someone solve their problem, I would say probably like seven times out of 10, you're going to be okay. Mm -hmm. But if you go in with the wrong intention, just to, you know, with the commission breath to get the sale, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. Work. someone wrote to me recently desperation is a cologne and it and everyone could smell it <laughs> or something <laughs> like that <laughs> and i was like i am so stealing that uh but uh, i love that that's so true though yeah so you 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 studied this and actually i saw um obviously you went to harvard i mean you're very very i mean you've you've been to the most prestigious places. I went to Harvard for the program on negotiation. The binders are in my garage. Fantastic. Yeah. And and I was doing it just to get a a, a kind of something, but I've always wanted to kind of revisit it. I had a blast while we were there. Um, But how much formal education play, how much does formal education play a role in in the deepening of, of what I would actually equate to be EQ rather than just the technicality of negotiation? Man, you might get me in trouble with this answer. So um, look, I think education is, is really, really important, whether it's formal, like going to university for that thing. I I honestly don't know if I really see the benefit. Yeah. As as long as you are approaching it from the perspective of trying to learn as much as you can about something, there's a ton of information out there that you can get for free or for very little cost. Yeah. Um, or you're getting that information from an expert, like from you, for example, when we're thinking of like how people approach business. <sighs> There's, look, there's great negotiation theory out there and and Harvard being probably the leader in sort of the the think tank when it comes to negotiation. I think you should pursue those things, but it should be your primary Mm -hmm. focus. I I don't know that it is. Like I had a discussion today, for example, um, with a new friend on on MBAs and um, the, the person said, well, like you know, this person's got this MBA and so we tried to move them into a management position. I was like, yes. I don't really see the value of yeah. an MBA. Like I really, I mean, unless you're doing it in an amazing school to get the network, like you're doing it to get the network. Uh, uh, I, I just don't see it. I think I'm, formal education is a, is a lie to a large extent. Look, uh, and, and you didn't know this cause we didn't prep, like you didn't know this, but I mean, I've, I've, I literally was on a LinkedIn live last night talking about how my classmates probably will hate me for saying this, but I got nothing out of my MBA. I wasn't ready to receive that information. I wasn't in a place where that information made sense to me because I was looking for a job. Um, you know, I wanted it to make sure I was marketable. And as an entrepreneur, all that stuff is completely out the window. I, I, I feverishly think about how I wish I could go back and 
start started then, you know, started a business then and just kind of did exactly what you said. But um, and your business, your your decision to create a business has probably become the best business education that you'll ever get. A thousand percent. Yeah, exactly. it's it's accelerated. It's real. It's raw. And and I think there is something to be said. I completely respect people who desire to be in that kind of environment, who yes. are willing to pay for the network and all that kind of stuff. And and it's okay. But if you leave, like my job took me from uh, Southern California to Austin, Texas. Like my network evaporated like that. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. so it's okay. So, but unless you're attached to that network there, I don't think it's necessarily the biggest deal in the world. So, so moving on, we talked a little bit uh, just prior to recording about uh, who this is for. And, uh, and like I said, it applies to all business owners as well, but uh, a lot of veteran entrepreneurs. And we go through this thing called the military transition where we are completely foggy, losing our tribe, uh, not knowing what to do, wanting to make sure that we are able to maintain the income we had, uh, all, all these different aspects of kind of liberation from from the military. And then we start to miss it pretty quickly after. <laughs> but um, one of those decisions is, do I go to a traditional work uh, job uh, or workforce or do I explore entrepreneurship? 25% of veterans want to be start their own businesses and I believe less than 3% Amazing. do. And it's, it's crazy because I love to be that person who's like, look, this is living proof, which is the purpose of this podcast. My question to you is this. If we, and I'm not talking about how we can negotiate, but what happens? What would you tell us in terms of negotiation when we are trying to just get our legs under us and you approach me and you're like, I'm interested in your business. And you're like, Oh, I'm like $1,500 a month. And you're like, ah, no, I was thinking three digits, you know? And, and then I, and I'm like, okay, absolutely. I think that is very real. I think that happens very often. And I think you're trying to get experience. You're trying to get referrals. You're trying to get social proof, but it's Mm -hmm. damaging in the long run. What, can, advice can you give us from that perspective uh, in terms of cheapening our business, so to speak? You think you're less valuable than you are. Um, and I, I think this is this happens to a, a lot of entrepreneurs when they're, they're first starting out. It's, it's not just military that come and, and try to be entrepreneurs. They, you're trying to create that customer base, and I totally get that. And so when you're negotiating with someone, they ask you for that deal. What essentially happens is they're, they're, you're being conditioned, right? So there's this concept called conditioning where someone is, when you say your price and they say a significant discount less than that, your brain is now thinking your perception is changing. Like maybe this thing that I'm selling isn't as valuable as I think it is. Well, the first thing I think is fuck you. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, that's actually the first thing I think of. Um, But, but yes, you're right. Then I start to say, well, maybe, maybe it isn't that valuable. So please go ahead. And and so (laughs) I love that response. (laughs) And so, and so what ends up happening is you start doubting yourself and you're like, and then you accept the discount or you try and negotiate a little bit. Um, This is why you should, this happens. It's a real thing, but it's always why you should always ask for more than you expect to get. Because if your list price, if you, if you're, what you're willing to accept is that $1,500 and someone says 600, now you've put, you've painted yourself into a corner. Right, like you, you literally have to walk away from that deal because you've asked for exactly what you need to make that work 
work for you. So always ask for more than you expect to get so that you can give yourself some room to negotiate. That way, when you come down from your price, you've created a win situation for the counterparty too. Because if you if there's no wiggle room for you, how good are they going to feel about that exchange? They're not going to feel good about it at all. So you're actually creating an opportunity for them to win as well. And so one of the key tenants that we always speak about is always, always, always ask for more than you expect to get. Now, I'm not saying you should, you know, if the if what you're willing to accept is fifteen hundred, you quote it at forty five thousand dollars. Like, <laughs> no, obviously not. But you should be asking for more because we know that the counterparty that you're working with is going to try and negotiate with you. So I think for a lot of people, that's the main issue that they come in with. They they say, "Oh, I I would like to get paid this, and so that's what I'll ask for." So Tim Ferriss has a quote from a podcast with Seth Godin forever ago. And he said, when it comes to public speaking, I realized it was too stressful. Um, it wasn't just going to speak. It actually took 48 hours of my day or, or of my life and all these different things, you know, and he goes, so now, um, you know, whenever I get paid the highest price, that's my new that's my new price. And he goes, and it's free or full price. And free, it has to be a family member, something crazy, or full price. And I love that. And, and he says it relieved him deeply of, of stress, and it just kind of allowed him to operate more within his bounds. And I subscribe to that in my mind. But my question to you is, why, why do we have to expect that the other party is going to negotiate? Why? What about the people who are really trying to be authentic and build a relationship and saying, I'm going to paint you a picture of how valuable this service or product is. I hope that you see the value and you don't try to haggle me because that to me is a win-win. So what do you say about that? Um, Don't be naive. (laughs) Right. I mean, at the end of the day, there's, yes, there are good people that want to pay you full price, but for you to expect that to happen, I think is, is, you're living in a dream world. Mm-hmm. It, it's not going to happen. And you're not Seth Godin, right? So you're built up one day to be like, okay, my price per day is, you know, X amount of tens of thousands of dollars <laughs> or whatever it might be. You're going to get there eventually and that will become your new price and blah, blah, blah. That's going to happen as long as you remain consistent. But for you to expect that right away to say, this is my price and my price is the price and you don't get it. You have no leverage yet. There's, mm-hmm. there's no, there, you're not the thought leader in your space yet. You haven't built up that personal brand yet. You, you don't have Seth Godin's brand. Mm-hmm. And so for you to say the price is the price, I don't, I don't know that that's a realistic way of, of looking at business. Now, if you've got a, a fantastic podcast and you've got a great personal brand like you do, you, you have significantly more leverage, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you can dictate more terms than potentially someone else who's just coming into this business. But until you get to that point, all you're doing is building leverage along the way. And so just be very careful that you don't let your ego get in the way of doing what's right for building your business. I, I think that's fantastic advice. And I want to ask, um, you said, you know, they have a win and you have a win. Can you talk to me about the emotional state that I guess either party is in when they logically are able to make concessions to get the deal done or to get it done? And in that moment, they feel like I lost, like I gave up too much ground 
24, 48 hours later, they're like, I understand conceptually that this is a good deal, but I feel, I don't feel great about it. And now I don't want to deliver per se. I, I, and I don't, I've had many conversations about this, but how can you prevent yourself from looking at it as if you've lost when truly in the end, everyone kind of got what they wanted? Yeah, I think the only reason you should ever feel like if you lost is if you go below the point where you should have walked away. Mm -hmm. Right. So before you go into any negotiation, be very clear with yourself and write it down. At what point do I walk away from this deal? And if you go below that, you got to have the discipline to be able to walk away. And it's, it's, it's much easier for me to talk about than, than it is to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you're, you're basically saying, I'm not willing to make a deal at this price mm -hmm. because it, this doesn't work for me. And as long as you're clear about what that is, and as long as you're disciplined to walk away, you're going to be fine. Now, if you get something above that price, you haven't lost at all. Yes, you negotiated, you optimized the deal for the counterparty, but you didn't lose. You, you got a deal above your walk away, and, and that you should celebrate. There's, if you get a deal that's below that walk away, obviously, there's going to be some sort of cognitive dissonance that's involved, and you're going to have a bit of like remorse around that. Um, and I totally understand that. But that's because most of us go into negotiations without actually knowing at what point we're going to walk away. So yeah. be very clear before you go into a negotiation and write down what's my worst case scenario, what's my best case scenario, and now I'm going to be optimizing for all of my needs and wants within this range. Mm -hmm. If you get within that range for all of your needs and wants, that's a win. It's not. It's not a loss that yes. you gave up something. It's you. You still won something. Got it. If if I am am not used to negotiating, or I finally started the business and now I need to start calling people. Now I'm getting my personal brand, uh, you know, up to speed, and I am looking for small negotiation type wins that I could practice. Um, and I'm not talking about like going to Starbucks and being like, can I have that? You know, I've heard all those things, but what are some, some tactical small level negotiations that I could practice that, uh, that, that are very applicable and repeatable on a larger scale when it comes to actual money and business? So to your example, those, those techniques about like negotiating at the grocery store or Starbucks, those are still applicable, by the okay. way. I think that's very important because it's not about getting the deal. Mm -hmm. It's about putting yourself into an uncomfortable situation that you can manage through. That's, I think, what the vast majority of those people talk about. That's the key. It. Very much like a military mindset, right? Get comfortable with discomfort. Mm -hmm. So if you can get comfortable with that, it becomes a, a lot easier. When we're thinking about things that we can do at scale, to practice, role-playing, I think, is, is probably one of the most important things that you can do. So people that are within your business or maybe friends, colleagues, um, whatever it might be, start practicing your negotiations with them before you go into the negotiation and get them to be friendly up front and then, and then get them to play the role of the asshole, to, to see where your weaknesses are. This is also a military concept, right? Whenever you guys um, decide to run an operation, you practice that operation over and over and over and over again until it becomes rote. And then you bring in a red team to find out where all your weaknesses are. Hmm. Same sort of idea. Whenever we role play, we want to practice and practice and practice and practice and then bring someone in that maybe isn't necessarily as friendly 
to find out where all of our weaknesses are, where all of our soft points are, so that we can identify them before we go into the negotiation. Much better to find it out before we go in than to find it out in the middle of the negotiation and walk away going, I just got owned. Of course. So we talked about your sales career. And we also know, you know, uh, uh, we, we already discussed the fact that I, I would assume that the majority of, of, of negotiations or objections is, is what I meant are going to be price specific. Okay. Because someone doesn't want, someone wants something for cheaper. Someone feels like uh, they deserve less for whatever reason, or Hey, sure. a family and friends discount. But if there were to be two right behind the behind the price objection, what would you say are two very common objections that business personnel should be prepared for and how can they approach them? Oh, probably the most common one right after that is I already work with someone who's doing this, right? Mm. So we're working with someone else or we don't have any budget for this this year. That's probably the two most common ones right after that. When we're thinking about, hey, you know, we're already working with someone who's already doing this for us, whatever for whatever reason, and it's sort of strange, we we feel like objections are the same as rejections. <laughs> like someone says, hey, I, I already work with someone. And then for what, like we get scared about it, right? We're like, oh, oh, oh okay, thanks, bye. And we hang well, I mean, I'll tell you, I feel like I'm stepping on someone's toes. Like, you know, if I push it and I'm like, you know, if someone's like, oh, I'm already working with Mark, I'm like, yeah, but, you know, I feel like if I push it in any way, I'm going to try and prove that they're making a bad investment and I'm a better, I'm a better fit somehow. That that's in my imagination. I can at least tell you. Sure. And I mean, you don't necessarily have to take it from that approach. And, and sometimes it feels that way. And, and we feel like we, you know, maybe stepping on someone else's turf or making them look bad or, you know, or we're just, we just get so scared about it that we just leave the engagement. The easiest way, or maybe not the easiest way, but certainly the simplest way to deal with, any kind of objection that you get is to explore the objection, Mm. right? So when someone says, hey, we're working with someone else on this, you could say, that's fantastic. Who are you working with? Well, we're working with X, Y, and Z company. Amazing. What do you like most about working with X, Y, and Z company? Well, we like that they're, you know, on time or whatever it is, and they do these different types of deliveries for us. Wow, that's incredible. Hey, wouldn't it be cool if we had the opportunity just to see if we could keep XYZ company honest? Why don't we set up a time for you and I to have a discussion about this further to see what they're doing and what we're doing? Let's make an apples to apples comparison. You get to make the decision about what you want to do from there. (laughs) <laughs> like it's not, it's not just, a, a, now I'm, now I'm helping you. I'm just saying, look, you've done business with these guys for a long time, but do you really know if they're doing the right thing for you? Yeah. Let's keep them honest. Use me as a benchmark. I don't mind. Yeah. We don't have the budget for this. Um, you know, thank you. Uh, take care. What, what is, what should, uh, how can I train my mind to, to, to take in that information and what should my response be? Again, we've got to explore the objection, right? So if someone says, look, we don't, we just don't have a budget for this right now. So then my mind goes to, okay, but you, there is a budget. It's just maybe being used on something else, right? So yes, they don't have a budget for me right now, but what do they have the budget for? So I would say to them, fantastic, no problem. Um, just out of curiosity, Obviously, this means that this is not a high priority for you right now. There are other priorities that you're working on. What are those other priorities? Yeah. 
now I can find out what the priorities are in their business. Well, we're really focused on customer retention right now because you know, instead of focusing on marketing and sales, we really want to make sure that we retain our customers. It's a really difficult time right now. So we're really focusing a lot on customer retention. Incredible. What are you guys doing about customer retention? What are you making them, you know, making your customers feel like during this process? Well, you know, we're focusing on X, Y, and Z. You know, one of the things that I think you should be doing as well on top of what you're already doing is this, this, and this. I would say video testimonials. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so now instead of like trying to overcome the objection, we're addressing the objection. Right. So we're, we're having a conversation about it. We're, so many times we feel like this, this objection is a wall that we've got to like smash through, but really it's like a wall and then there's a gate and we just got to know the combination to the lock to get in. So it's, it's much more about, I would say, having a conversation and exploring the objection than anything else. When I, I was um, watching a, a marketer, he's a, kind of an influencer, and I was watching one of um, some, some training he had, and he, he made a scale, and he says, if this is dollar signs, uh, what's that, the y-axis, I guess, the vertical one? I'll just say vertical. <laughs> the vertical axis is dollars, and then one to 10, and it could be thousands of dollars or millions of dollars or whatever. And then the x-axis is their level of asshole is exactly what he said. <laughs> he goes, most people think of that 45 degree line. Like I would put up with a 10 a hole for 10 amount of money. Of course. And he goes, but it's absolutely not true. So my question to you in terms of that is when do you walk away? And, and besides blatant from an asshole. Yeah. Like when do you, like when, when, and I don't mean blatant disrespect, you know, I just mean when, like I'm, I'm talking issues uh, late um, on maybe it's a collaborative effort and, and they're not providing things on time and it's kind of a pain or maybe the scope of work is changing dramatically and you reference your proposal and you're like, this is, we are so out of scope here. Um, there's all kinds of different variables, but what is, when do you walk away? How do you help yourself make that decision without trying to negotiate yourself to reclaim where you want to be? Before you walk away, have a conversation with the person and, mm -hmm. and just say, hey, here's what I've observed and, and just try and have a rational conversation with the person so that it doesn't turn into a conflict-based scenario. But if, if you, so there's such a thing called reverend power, right? You, you live your life according to a certain set of values and, and a certain set of ideals. If, if something doesn't fit within that certain set of values that you live in, and your set of values is those are your values, then you've got to make a decision about what's best for your reputation. Because really, that's the only thing that you get to leave behind. <laughs> so when you think about that, think about how this aligns with your values. And if it doesn't, then you got to have a conversation with that person. And if they continue to go down that road, then, you know, I, I very much implement sort of like a three strikes, you're out sort of deal, right? I've told you once, told you twice, this is the third time we're out. Mm -hmm. So I, I feel like that's probably a great way to approach a situation where someone is, is being maybe abusive or 
or trying to take advantage of you in a certain situation. You, you definitely have to try and address it and have a conversation about it. Make sure that you get some contractual terms around anything that's changed within the scope, right? There's a scope change, no problem. We'll just do an amendment. Like you want us to do all this additional stuff, that's fine, but it's going to cost you, yep. right? Like here's, here's the amendment to the contract. So as long as you can do that, that's a great way to make money. Fantastic. Go ahead and do that. Mm-hmm. But if they refuse to pay for it, then you, you got to, you got to walk away from that deal unless it becomes, you know, the end of your business. Yeah. Um, I would like to shift towards uh, those in transition, whether it be from a military or from a, uh, to a new job or to a different career altogether. Uh, I am no longer interested in being a graphic designer. I want to be in sales or, or whatever it may be. Um, and, and here I am and I come in with, with my experience. I've done my homework. Um, I've practiced. I've, do, I've done everything. Uh, I've looked at Glassdoor. I know some of the salaries. I, I've, I've done it all. The interview in my mind goes extremely well, personable. I, I really take the business aspect out of it. We talk as two people. I solve their problems right there on the spot. And, and then I get this offer that I am just, just completely discouraged by. Um, I start, like you said earlier, I start to question my value, so to speak. Can you talk about the, the most appropriate way uh, to negotiate for more and I know you get this a lot, but it's important um, to negotiate for, for something more commensurate with your experience level, um, you know, when you're seeking out that job. Uh, question number one is, do you have an alternative? So is this the only offer you have? And if it is the only offer you have, then there's a few different ways that we need to approach this. Let's assume yes, because uh, I'm, I'm going to just tell you, sometimes we're not getting the offers, right? And, and, and because I am now out of the army or Marines or whatever it is, I am thrilled to get an offer. So, so there I am and here I am and, and I'm thrilled until I see the numbers. So yeah. Let's just assume. That. So again, you got to decide at what point you're going to walk away. And this happens before your interview, right? You know, for this job, you need to be paid X. And if you don't get that X, then you have to be willing to walk away from that deal. Then you go in and ask for more. So first things first, don't, don't just you know, throw it back in the person's face <laughs> yeah. and say, uh, obviously, I'm worth more. Yeah. Because they're obviously trying to get you for a lower rate. Like why, first of all, why wouldn't they? So think of about it from their perspective. Of course. You're, you're running a business. You have labor that you need to bring on. That labor cost X. If I can get it for X minus 10%, why wouldn't I try? So it's not personal. It's not based on you. They're just trying to optimize the cost of their labor pool, right? That's first things first. Then whenever you're trying to approach these people, it, the conversation starts with thank you, right? Thank you so much for the offer. I sincerely appreciate it. And I would love to work with you. Now, this is where most people get it wrong. They use the word but instead of the word and. So if you said, thank you so much for the offer, I sincerely appreciate it. I'd love to start working with you, but I need more money. And here's <laughs> where I need more money. What you basically said is your job's basically nice, but all I really care about is the money. Yeah. So instead of saying the word, but use the word and. So thank you so much for the offer. I sincerely appreciate it. I would love to begin work with, working with you. And in order for me to do this job, I need X, Y, and Z. 
Mm. And then you talk about the value that you can deliver, right? If you recall, based on our conversation, the value that I think I can deliver to your organization is, you know, ABC. And that's why I'm asking you for more money. I, there's a, a mentor of mine and he works for a, a, a very, very well-known bank. And he told me, as, and he's a veteran, as transitioning service members, the, the transferability of our skills is not immediate. They're, they're absolutely, they, they correlate, but the transferability is not immediate, especially if I have no experience in that industry. Someone right. who's been in that industry, who's in, I would say in the same age group as me, but has five years there may not have some of the leadership abilities I do, but they have the technical abilities that I lack. He said to me, and I, I loved this. He said, you can and should try to negotiate to say in one year, I'd like to be considered for to be paid commensurate with my peers or at that level or whatever, if I'm able to demonstrate this, this, and this, is that, is that a good move? Um, and, and if so, like, how can you try and get that in writing? So you could be like, Hey, here we are. Like, let's do this. Yeah. I would say that the only way that that really works is if you get it in writing. Okay. I've seen far too many situations like that where people get screwed. Mm -hmm. in the end where they're, they're like, um, yeah, I know that we said we were going to look at giving you right now. It's a difficult time in the company. Your leverage is when you're before you sign the offer. Mm -hmm. That's when you have the most leverage in the negotiation. Once you've signed the offer, that leverage is gone like immediately. So make sure that you fully exercise your leverage prior to signing on, because otherwise, unless there's something written into the employment contract that you get a raise at a certain time and make sure that you don't agree to something that's like, we'll review, right? Because that's all it says is we'll review. Of course. It doesn't say we're going to give you a raise. Yeah. So unless you've got something like that in writing that says you're going to get a raise at a certain amount of time, just be very careful about what you commit to. Mm-hmm. Um, that being said, if you don't have any other offers and you know it's, be, it's dead out there and you're not going to get anything, it may be beneficial to take something for a year and then look for something else. Of course. Right? Like in the meantime, get something else going, look for something else. At least it can start bringing in cash flow. It's going to start helping you to pay for things, groceries, all that kind of stuff. Right? So just you've got to decide what's right for you and what point you're going to walk away. Like if it's for, you know, a $60,000 a year job, but they, you know, they say they're going to pay you 40 the thing that's going through your head right now is like PFO, right? Like, absolutely not. We are not going to do it for that price. And so that's when you start to need to negotiate. But if they offer you five grand less, then now you've got to decide at what point am I willing to walk away from this while I look for something else? Maybe I take it and look for something else. I am a person who feels things very deeply. And the problem with that is that I wear my emotions on my sleeve. And there's many of us like that. There's some of us who really have, I've not been able to quite demonstrate that we've transitioned. And I, and I don't, my example is one, but I know plenty of other people are still very Marine-like, you know, very rigid, very structured, very, you know, almost directive with their voice, even as a subordinate. Um, the reason I mentioned that is the emotions that take place during a negotiation or a perceived negotiation can be running high. And I really think even if I take exactly what you said and I use the verbiage you just said, and I am doing 
everything to a T, I can still give it all away with bad body language or facial expressions. How can yep. any of us train to summon our patience and, and our best, our best, uh, you know, effort to, to just be conducive to making progress? Well, I mean, I, I love that you said that because your body language and your facial expression sometimes betray you, right? And, and with a lot of people that they do, and it takes practice to be able to, to do that. Um, there's a study that was done by Albert Marabanian back in the day that said 55% of your communication is body language, 38% is your voice, and then 7% is the actual words that you use. So that's why your body language is so critical. Because if you, if you say something, but your body says another thing, then there's no congruency. And that's when people start to get really confused about what your messaging is. Mm -hmm. So this is why practice and role playing is so critical because if someone can see in you that you need to adjust maybe your posture or the way that you're looking at someone or your eye contact, or um, maybe you're frowning a lot when someone gives you an offer, that, that <laughs> kind of stuff is really, really critical to fix before you go in. So if you're going to be going into either a video interview or, or even an in-person interview, make sure to practice that in the mirror ahead of time. Um, get and record yourself, right? Like, I mean, all of these video tools are available to us right now. Practice it on video and then watch yourself back to see what you need to adjust. And then, then go into the interview. Don't just wing it. I love it. Yeah, excellent. So my last question is, um, what, what are you here to do with Negotiation Ninjas? What, what is it that you are trying to accomplish? And, and what do you want out of this beautiful business that you've started? I appreciate that, man. My, uh, my entire goal is to develop and deliver the most engaging content for negotiation in the world. Um, and the, the entire purpose is to really de demystify the, the negotiation discipline. So many people feel like, you know, you're born negotiator or you're a born salesperson. And that's just not true. You, you can be taught. Not to say that there aren't people that have more natural ability than others. Sure. Of course there are. But that's the same as athletics, right? You, there's, there are natural athletes, but if they don't work at it, they're going to stay at a certain level. Whereas if someone who's maybe not as natural keeps working at it, they're going to get much better than that person. The same thing is true for negotiation. The more that you practice, the more that you read, the more that you study, the more that you apply, the better that you're going to get. And that's why we do, do what we do, mm -hmm. because we're here to tell people like, there's a ton of information available. There's so many different ways that you can approach this. There is no one style fits all. You can take bits and pieces of things and meld it into your own thing and become great at negotiation. And that's why we started the podcast. That's why we started the blog. That's why we started the training company. It's because we want to alleviate people from the self-imposed pressure that they put on themselves that they're not good at something. It's like saying, I'm not good at math. That's a self-imposed belief. That, and it's not true. Mm -hmm. So you can get better, you can improve, and that's why we're here. I love it. So that being said, Mark, where can people find you? Uh, where would, and I know uh, you mentioned the podcast and, and can you tell me what the podcast is so we could find it? Yeah, absolutely. It's called the Negotiations Ninja podcast. You can okay. find us at www.negotiations.ninja. Um, and the easiest place to find me online is on LinkedIn. So just reach out to me anytime and I, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks for, thanks for taking the time today. 
and I will get this to you. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. Your show is amazing. Thank you. And there you have it. Uh, I really hope you took away as much as I did in terms of negotiation, in terms of body language, in terms of how to just position yourself and do the pre-work. Do the pre-work uh, in order to, to just end up in a position where you win, they win, and, and everyone is happy. So please, uh, if you got anything out of this, you know I always ask to rate and review. We are in the middle of uh, our best month ever on the podcast, and I would love to continue that. Um, we are starting a newsletter also for all things video and LinkedIn. So if you want to be part of that, please email rich at richcardonamedia.com or Eliza, E-L-I-Z-A, at richcardonamedia.com, and we will get you set up. So that's all I got. Uh, I really, really appreciate all the support, guys. Have a great day. Music